Hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, welcome to Jerusalem U, the JU Israel podcast, where we keep you connected to what's going on in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, and I'm here, as always, with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going pretty well, Mike. How are you? Good, thank God. Uh, before we get to our topic today, uh, it's been pretty uh, a hard couple days after Rosh Hashanah in the news. We're just a few days after Rosh Hashanah, and already, unfortunately, we've had some. Uh, you just said, just, just, I don't know when you're. I don't know when the listener was listening. But Alan, can you just sort of talk about the the events uh, the last few days? Yeah. So, as, as in general, there's usually a lot of uh, warnings before holidays that there are uh, potential terrorist attacks because holidays are, are targets, not only in Israel, also holidays outside of Israel. Um, I mean, in the, in the non-Jewish world, there are also times for terrorist attacks. So, unfortunately, yesterday morning, uh, in a group of um, Palestinian workers who have permits to work in Israel, um, uh, were um, being checked at the checkpoint when um, one of them pulled out a, a gun and shot three of the security personnel, two private security and one, uh, what's called the Mishtara uh, uh, Magav, uh, whatever, in the, the border police, um, which is an army unit, a police army unit kind of thing. Um, and three of the three of them were were, were, were killed. One of them from the adjacent uh, or very close by Arab uh, Israeli village of Abu Ghosh. One, the the Magav was. Uh, you know, uh, a regular of soldier age. I think he was 20 or something. And then the other um, was another security guard. I'm not sure where he was from also. Uh, so that's a kind of a, not such a pleasant wake up on a very turbulent week, I think, in news in general. I mean, in Israel, it's that, you know, it was the big news. But in <laughs> Germany, there was a big election where a very far right, which many in Germany characterize as a Nazi uh, party, but uh, without getting to that, one uh, became the third largest party in parliament, the first time since World War II. Um, there's the, the Kurdish, right? There's the Kurdish uh, um, referendum this week, Mike. If you, you Which isn't that. directly, you know, that's not directly Israel news, but I do think it's worth pointing out that the, the and, and maybe we'll do a future episode about Israel and the Kurds, but just on a on a surface level, the Kurds have been fighting for independence basically for a century since World War One. They've been fighting for Kurdistan. They're an ethnic minority in the Middle East, divided over four countries essentially. Muslims, and if I correct, they are Muslims, absolutely, one hundred percent, and they uh, and they are and they're they're in Muslim countries, not all Arab countries. Uh, there are Kurds in uh, Iran and Turkey, which are Persian and Turkish, and uh, also uh, Iraq and Syria. So in their, in their pursuit of their own homeland, most of the world, most of the free world, which based itself since World War I on the idea that, that ethnic groups, ethnic, ethno-national groups should have their own self-rule, they've been suppressing the Kurds. And to this, even though this week the Kurds held a referendum, where they had a large turnout and said, we would like to pursue our own free country. Most countries in the West are not, 
are not uh, not happy about it simply because it's chaotic and destabilizes what the order they're trying to restore in the Middle East. Um, never, nevertheless, the Kurds were a major part of the fight against ISIS. Hmm. A, they've been a fight against ISIS. The U.S. used them as a fight against uh, Saddam Hussein. The, all these Western powers work, you know, hand in glove with the Kurds whenever it's to their advantage. And then when push comes to shove and the Kurds say, okay, will you support our self-rule? They do not. Israel does. And uh, this week, though, interesting Netanyahu ordered the ministers to be quiet on the Kurd issue. Yeah, that's interesting. Some commentators are saying that it's purely political, that, you know, Bibi's poking a finger in the eye of Iran, of of Turkey, which Erdogan is already speaking out against. We're going to have to refreeze relationships, knock the other out because of the Kurds. Um, but and then that may be so. You know, politics is a is a bare knuckle brawl business, and which is why the West keeps uh, ignoring them when it comes up. Right? The West keeps ignoring them because it makes their head. I, I would argue that's blatantly political. It certainly yeah. isn't. It certainly isn't based on Western values. And um, as it's Jews, real politics, it's real, it's real politics. politics. And by the way, the Western's intervention in the in the Middle East has never been ve- ve- based on democratic values. Really, it's always been real politics. Really, and, we didn't. And we I didn't, would even include even the support of Israel. So uh, the invasion of Iraq wasn't to spread democracy through the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> chuckle, chuckle. Uh, whatever it was, I mean that's the thing. Sometimes you can align your real politic to Western values. And sometimes that can even be a convincing argument. Sometimes you can't. I would argue that the vast majority of Western countries, which are not supporting Kurdish independence, are doing so in violation of Western values for real politic. So if you want to accuse Bibi of playing real politic with the Kurds, okay, but at least he's standing up for Western values that ethno-national minorities should have their own self-rule, particularly in the Middle East where self-rule and borders are the only way an ethnic minority can can protect itself. And I think the Jews very much of Israel, Zionists, see themselves in the Kurds. And I think to a certain extent, the, the Kurds see and themselves in the Zionists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we're, uh, we're a people who are fighting for our own land. They're not exactly from exile like the Jews were. But it's time for, you know, it's time for our people to... And there's a history of, of uh, Israel working with Kurdish fighters. Now, they have their own political splits. You know, the Western forces usually work with the Peshmerga. There's different militias. Whatever their internal complexities are, the Kurds. Uh, there does There is a parallel, and I would argue that Israel's more or less full-throated support of, of Kurdish independence is, is, is consistent with Zionist and, and even broader Western ideas. I don't know what to make of the report. Well, yeah, I mean, the foundational idea of Zionism is the self-determination for nations. <laughs> Which is why we have a problem, you know, uh, yeah. with Palestinians who are asking yeah. for the same, and that's not working out. Um, but what, what do you make of that report that Bibi was asking ministers not to talk about the Kurds? Why not? I think it's, it's politics. I mean, I think that that comes to politics, too, with the West. You know, he, he wants to stay in line with the West, I assume. Um, and that's, you know... He, he wants to reduce the discomfort he has with Western powers. Yeah, and especially, you know, I mean, we, we see he has done a tremendous amount of, uh, after the eight cold years of the Obama administration, to have some uh, warm years with the Trump administration. 
and uh, you know, my guess is he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to throw that off. And and in general, the ministers are problematic, and you know, in that sense, like they're not. You know, they go off and spouting all He's kinds worried of things what that they're can create say. diplomatic and can, can create diplomatic uh, real problems. Yeah. Um, really, but, Israeli politicians aren't known for their diplomatic nuance? <laughs> That's the second sure. time I did that sarcastic uh, question thing. You did. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. I was going to say something snide, but I decided not to. Okay. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm. <laughs> It's a 10 days of 10 days of repentance, which is what we were going to talk about. So I will keep my mouth. Well, also, I'm, I'm taking care of all the snide for the episode. That's, so that's I'm true. I'm leaving you a lot of that's, snide oxygen. That's your that's your job today. We're going to call you Dr. Snide. <laughs> Ooh, that could be a comic book. Uh, the truth is, uh, I'll, I'll segue. I'll segue to our topic from the curves. How about that for a slick podcast? And nobody will yeah. even notice I'm doing it because that's how slick we are as podcasters. And without even editing. No, there's nothing to edit because this is so subtle. People won't even notice what what my move is. Uh, You know, I think that when history looks back, well, let's take the Kurds in the first Gulf War under Herbert Walker Bush, the Bush senior, where they helped him uh, fight the uh, Saddam Hussein's forces in the north, which helped the American and allied Arab forces and international forces push the Iraqis out of Kuwait. There was apparently some indication that the Bush administration would then support Kurdish independence. The Bush administration then decided they didn't want to topple Saddam Hussein because they didn't want to break it and then buy it. So they left Saddam back. They, they pushed Iraq out of Kuwait, took over, helped the Kuwaitis back on their feet. And then when the, when the Kurds were waiting for, okay, now it's our turn. You know, you, we washed your hand, now you wash our hand. The Bush administration just pulled up stakes and the Kurds were chemical. They were, you know, gassed gassed by by the Hussein regime. And then when his son, uh, uh, George W. Bush, uh, did the second Gulf War, the question was, will the Kurds work with us again after we burned them? And they absolutely did. Of course they did. Well, it's not such an of course. You know, in the Middle East... They have no other choice because it's true that the enemy of my them. enemy, right? And the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But also, fool me nobody once, get, shame on nobody, you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You burned but nobody, us. But nobody gives them the, the, this time of day anyway. Just like, just like, the, just like Israel. Just like the the famous, you know, what happens in World War II when you know months before the outbreak of World War II, Britain votes on the White Paper, basically uprooting Balfour Declaration and the League of Nations mandate. To set up a home for the Jews in the middle, in the, in you know Palestine, what have you, and they have no choice but to fight with the British against the Nazis. Well, that's what realpolitik so, is, right? I mean, we can right. we can we can so, we can accuse the British or the Americans of being immoral, but the truth right. is, you, a government is elected to take care of its own people, not to take care of some foreign minority somewhere in the world. They have to put their people's interests first, which is why. Every people needs self-rule because they need their government acting in their self-interest. Right, and you have no choice. And you have, you have no choice when you when one ally is worse than the when one option is worse than the other. You have to go with the least worst, and that's often what real politics is really. The decisions are based on the least worst, not necessarily the best. And sometimes, and sometimes, real politics, a government will act in a way that is immoral and in contravention of its own ideals. When that happens, when a nation state does that. UK has plenty of things 
in its history. The United States is plenty of things in its history. Israel, too, has actions that were taken either in its name or by its government that are uncomfortable. My question is, during these 10 days of repentance... Uncomfortable. <laughs> uncomfortable. Meaning they're that wrong. They're immoral. They're yeah. immoral. Yeah. How does a nation repent? And, and let's, let's separate it into two categories. Real politic, we had to do something in the interest of our people. We did it, but it was not according to our principles. We just felt we had to. By the way, you're framing it all, and I, I mean, it's because you and I, are, our natural conversation is often over, let's call it foreign affairs or how it deals with, right? Yeah. But that goes not only for foreign affairs and how it deals in wars or real politics outside. It's also real politics, internal politics, how they treat the poor. Right oh. now, there's a right now there's huge protests been going on for how long now uh, by the handicapped in Israel. How long they've been been blocking the roads because the rights of this, you know? Right. How many um, times have you heard from el, you know people saying that elderly Holocaust survivors aren't being properly taken care of? Right. Correct. All that there, money, you know. There is not, such a thing, I think. As national sin, right? Uh, both internally and externally, exactly. And I would argue that a good indicator. So sometimes it's real politic. There was no choice, but we did it. And sometimes it's we did just didn't deal with it. We didn't prioritize it, or we didn't use moral judgment. Um, and I would argue that a good way to measure, and and you will hear people do this, I think, intuitively. The question is, how will history view it? Looking back, how do we see this? And when you look back and you say, well, no, I get that. It made sense in its context. Then I don't know that that's a, a national sin. But if you look back and you go, wow, that stinks. Well, yeah. how do you deal with that? That's a good question. I mean, you're saying so. And when I'm looking back at history, I look at back things that have been done. How do I? How do I, as a citizen of a certain Yemenite country, children, a member of a certain Yemenite, nation, what Yemenite are, children who, you know, got to Israel and put onto secular kibbutzim and separated from or, their families, or 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 Sephardim who were told, oh yeah, we're sending you to Tel Aviv and they're sent to Yerucham. Or know, worse, they're, they're sending they're, you. By, to by the way, Yerucham. Yerucham was was nothing. I mean, like they get out of a truck and there's absolutely nothing there, and they say, "Oh, oh, here's some you know tents to put up." Here's your tent. You know, yeah. So uh, you know, all for the national good. And the justification was, "Well, we need those sell it. Oh, we need it done. We need it done. You know, it's for the national good." It's also was considered, in a way, good for them because it gets them out of Yemen and gets right. them into Israel. So it's a lie in pursuit of saving their lives and advancing the Jewish state. Yeah. The question yeah. is, is that is is when you do when when you say, well, I'm going to have to let the ends justify my means. Is there an accounting for that means? So so that's what I mean by that's the kind of thing where, you know, and also the end again, when the ends that you're looking at are not necessarily what's in other words, a lot of those if we took it, those, you know, those Jews who are brought over from. From uh, you know what we call Mizrahi Jews who are from Arab lands and North Africa and those places, many of those were then you know sort of uh, blockaded into I don't know what you want to call it or I can't think of the word but into a socioeconomic um, situation that's very hard to escape from. 
and to this day, many of those towns and those places are in the periphery that get lots less funding and people are more locked in their lives. So what, what were the ends that justify the means weren't necessarily taking into consideration what really were is best for those? Well, I would argue that the rockets launched, launched from Gaza into Israel, thousands of rockets in the yeah. middle of the last decade for years before Israel finally took a firm stand to, to stop it. We're landing there in the periphery in those economically developing cities and towns. And that's why Israel was so slow to and, deter rocket launches because it wasn't and, hitting Tel Aviv. And what made the change? Do you remember? Nope. Was when Amir Peretz, think what you do about him as a politician, but a, a guy who came from Sterot, from one of those periphery towns, became defense minister. Right. He pushed the project and everybody told him he was crazy. They're like, no, it's waste. It'll never work this and that. He says, but, but because his, his frame of reference was those people living in those periphery are my family. They're my people. Something has to be done. He, he actually has changed, not just for Israel, but the world, the concept of protection of, of, from missiles that were thought non-protectable before with the Iron Dome system. Well, that's an interesting, so, that's an interesting idea in terms of repentance that sometimes it's, it's – in other words, that sin, I, I'm calling it a national sin of leaving Israelis in the periphery, Jewish and Arab, undefended yeah. against rocket attack. Uh, I'm calling that a sin. And I'm, what, what Peretz is, is the repentance, that sometimes the sin is necessary to, that's how we grow. Right. We fail and we get up again. And, I, and by the way, I, I don't. I'm not really well, interested. You recognize a need. What you're saying is you recognize that you recognize that, like the repentance is is not just like mea culpa. I'm, I'm banging my heart. Ashamnu. I'm guilty. I'm sorry. But the real repentance is is fixing it. Do you think? And is, again, is that what you're saying? That, that, let me. That is, I think that's. I think you're saying it better than I said it. But it, that's essentially the point I was trying to get to which I think is a very healthy attitude towards national sin. In other words, I'm not interested for the moment in the question of, you know, should Israel apologize for its behavior to other people? That's an interesting, and maybe we'll get to it, but that's an interesting side conversation. I'm just asking, as Jews and Israelis, in the 10 days of repentance where we work on ourselves and hopefully spread that work in our communities to make things better, how do we think about that on the national level? And how do we and, – and you just gave a great example of somebody who, whether he was thinking in religious language or not, said, here's a sin. I'm going to fix this sin. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what your point is very also well taken is that often what we tend to do um, during these 10 days of repentance, thinking of it very personally. What have I done wrong? What do I need to do this year? And we don't take it into the national conscience. Um, I, mean, I, think uh, we, I think we should do both. And, Certainly, no, absolutely. Certainly, the liturgy supports both. Absolutely, and I think that that's a very important right part. One hundred percent is that we have to not only think individually, but think of us ourselves as part of other groups, whether it be our local communities and and further up to extends to our national communities. How do we make? How, what part did we play? Back on the individual level, what part did I play or not play in making and contributing to the nation to making it better? Yeah. You know, ask not what my nation did for me. Ask what I can do to help my nation repair. That's on the personal level. What about the part that isn't in your hands? I had nothing to do with uh, with you know Mizrahi children 
you know, that got lost to their families or I, I had nothing to do with, you know, the 10 or 15 people who were killed at Dir Yassin. Like, it's pretty clear that the Battle of Dir Yassin. 10 or 15 while you're going on. Well, okay. So hold on. So let's, what is, can you just give a quick background? What is the Battle of Dir Yassin? Uh, you want me to do that? Yeah. Uh, in 1948, the spring, April 1948, a month before Israel was de- declared a state, the Ben-Gurion, um, the Haganah was given the job of opening up the road to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv, which had been under siege for since January, pretty much, or, pretty much since January. And they were given the job to open the road so that there would be a, a connection with the um, main part of the country with Jerusalem, when Jerusalem was, even though it was supposed to be a international area zone, the, and the area around Jerusalem was supposed to be um, Arab, um, in terms of the partition plan, there were 100,000 out of the 600,000 Jews in Palestine at the time living in Jerusalem. And it was pretty clear that the Arabs were, I mean, the Arabs had rejected the, the, the partition plan, so there was clear, it was a war, the, the war already broke out and was raging. And so um, the Haganah decided they couldn't leave those 100,000 people to starve. There was, they were literally without food and, and drinking from wells left over from the winter. So they um, set out on uh, uh, Operation Nachshon, um, named after you know, Nachshon, to open the road to, to Jerusalem. And in that whole battle is clearing different villages and and different um, from where the Arab attackers came. There was a village called Dir Yassin, right on the outskirts of Jerusalem at the time, which today is roughly around where below where the neighborhood of Givat Shaul was and, and parts of Harnof. Um, and what happened was there was a battle there. I forget the date. It's in the first two weeks of April. I forget the exact date. Um, and uh, many civilians were killed in the battle. The as battle, well as, the, the, uh, the fighters, fighters were not from the Haganah, they were from the Etzel, the Irgun, and the Lehi. The, 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 the Irgun the, Lehi, right. Two, but it was two, in coordination with the Haganah. They applied to the Haganah for approval of the mission, the Haganah gave it to them. I only point that out because after the events of the Yassin, the Haganah leadership yes. uh, condemned them. Right. They condemned them, but they were working in coordination. The, all the different militia groups were working in coordination. At times they were, at times they weren't. At that point, they were working in coordination. For sure, at that point, they absolutely were. And so they attacked, they attacked the village. We won't get into all the details. You can look up some of the details. Some of it are just, are, are um, uh, whatchamacallit, um, argued about, obviously, like in any historical event. Um, the upshot of it is there was a battle there. Uh, Jewish forces were wounded. I remember exactly how many. Somewhere Some were 40, I think. Some were killed. And then um, on the on the Arab side, there was also uh, killed. Many ran away. Well, over a hundred, over a hundred killed. It seems, yeah, and it seems that around uh, between a hundred and a hundred and fifteen um, were killed. Many of them civilians. Some of them um, seem to have been killed. Uh, after they were, um, there were uh, a rat, whatever captured and that's the ten to fifteen I was referring to. In other words, the collateral damage. Right. There's no question there were civilians killed in collateral damage in house to house fighting. 
And that's one level of the problem. But you have another one. It's one of the only examples we have. And of course, anti-Israel people are very happy to exaggerate that story and say hundreds of people killed, uh, women were raped, uh, all, uh, atrocities that it's hard to even imagine. No, those, those, were, those were reports that, that in fact were given out at the time by the, by the, Arab, by the Arab League in, to, to use it as a propaganda um, against the Jewish forces where the original is 200. 50 people killed, all kinds of terrible atrocities that have pretty much been debunked by even Arab historians. I think point. history looks back and says not only is that not true, but it, it was a mistake for them to do because their, their right. lies about atrocities scared the right. Arabs living it, all around the country, well, which led to a it, massive flight, which leads to yeah. Palestinian it, it, Right, it led to a lot of that flight. But it is clear that there were some... Um, um, human rights violations that happened during the war, like that of some were Some Jews that I think at that battle killed unarmed civilians intentionally in cold blood after the battle was over. Right. Do we bear national responsibility for that? Um, yeah, I think so. I think we have to say at one point, you know, that there, uh, there, there, that that is problematic. Um, and yeah, I think it's I dangerous think, to say no. I think it's dangerous. People fighting in the name of what was then the future state, but today is the state. And I would also say uh, there's a sliding scale to a certain extent. What the rules of of uh, before the state? There's a certain. These are not trained soldiers in a in a, in a well organized army. But I do agree right. that at a certain point you still have to, as a national story, take responsibility and say that was wrong. And they were fighting in the name of the Jewish people. The Jewish people were supporting them. Yeah. So, and uh, Although and the Haganah I, did condemn them. So the Haganah condemned them afterwards, which is fine. They can condemn them. That is recognized. But they were never, there, was never, there were never trials. There were never to be – like when a soldier today commits a, a crime – like Elora uh, 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 Azaria, who shot an unarmed terrorist after he had been, you know, already like he was laying on the ground and murdered him. He's sitting in jail today. So that never happened after the scene. Would you say that's a form of national repentance? That when we catch people I think who justice, are wrongdoing, the national attempt to restore justice by holding them accountable through due process is a form of national. Yeah, I think clearing. But certainly, you know, Sedek's justice, righteousness is one thing that we're supposed to be doing here. And therefore, and therefore, yes, that that, that is certainly part of the national repentance is showing that it's not acceptable to the nation. And we're taking taking our efforts to do it. The question is, is it, is it stopped there? That's one step. Is that where it stops? Yeah. Can we say now? Can we say now? Oh, we're relieved of it because we put the guy in jail. No. Or do we have to look at our society? See what created right. that a, a soldier would come along and think that that was the right thing to do at that moment? And many people think, and many people agree with them. This is a very divided issue in Israel. There are many, many who think he should not be in jail and should not and should be given a medal. Right. And leader, national leaders, parliamentary cabinet members, even the, in the, even the prime minister wavered on that. I mean, I would argue um, that that's uh, a national would, cultural conversation that has to happen. That you you know, in in especially for a Jewish state, 
that idea of tzedek, 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 justice, justice, is the prime directive. You have to be, right. justice and morality has to be the prime directive of the Jewish people. And when we compromise on that value and, and we allow for a culture where that goes unanswered, not only, and you're right, I think it's not just throwing the perpetrator in jail. It's changing the cultural environment where... And by the way, there, there are those who would, you know, on the other side, argue with, with say, no, the justice, he did, what he did was justice. This guy was a terrorist. He deserved to die. Right? That's the maybe that's, he did the argument. And maybe he did. You know? I, I I don't dispute that a terrorist deserves yeah. to die. I just don't. I so, just, right. So I'm saying either way you can look at it. That I, mean, I think your conversation is right, right because either way you can look at it, there's an injustice here that needs to be repenting. Right. From one side, the injustice is that he shouldn't be sitting in jail. From the other side, is the injustice is that he shouldn't have done what he did. I don't think that's an injustice. In other words, what? justice so is not he, justice. I'm not worried about did the did the did the terrorist get justice or not. The question is is the soldier behaving in a just way? In other words, by the rules of warfare, by the rules of the Israeli army. No, I'm not worried about the terrorist. No, no I wasn't talking about the terrorist. I misunderstood. I think what I'm saying Maybe. about right. I, so when, when putting morality, leave the what, you and I are going on. Okay, the more we, we go, we belong. We believe in the rule of law and the and the rules of the Israeli army. He was convicted, and we we think that that's the just thing. Right. There are those who are saying no, that law is wrong. In the rule, that law I'm is saying, immoral. I'm saying they're what they're saying is I I don't think morality is subjective enough to allow that argument. I understand that's a good chunk of the Israeli electorate has that opinion. I don't think. I guess I'm not willing to say that that's a valid moral position. In other words, do you want to have yeah. your constabulary, people in uniform with guns, have the right to be judge, jury, and executioner and say, well, X deserves to die. I, on the scene, will decide to kill him. I think that's, that's not a just way to run a society. You have to have due process mm -hmm. whereby that agent who's, who's given, empowered by the state to use a gun and to use power and have arrest power and, and all of that, that's their job. And their job is to now kick that person through the system unless, unless there's imminent danger of life. I think there is a, a, a deeper injustice in saying we want to have the Wild West where anybody with a gun gets to settle the problem. You can't have a just society that way. You just can't. So I, I, in, in, in this particular case, not, not in cold blood. Uh -huh. In other yeah. words, everyone has the right to stop a terrorist, even if that means killing him, 100%. Once no, he's I'm, been, and if, and if the shot that disarmed. had disabled him and disarmed him had killed him, no problem. But once he was disarmed and that danger was gone, then in classic Jewish thinking, that's it. You can no longer kill him. He now has to go through due process. That's no, a classic sure. Jewish principle of justice. I know I'm trying to I'm trying to Hope you but froze. I'm trying to what I think you froze I, I was oh I obviously agree with you right um, but I'm just trying to you know it, it, it our bigger topic opposed to this the prot of this one is how does a nation repent well, I think there's area what I'm arguing is there's area so here that the nation still has to repent. So, there's a there's a correct no, so that's cynical, what I'm agreeing with. I'm thinking either side. 
Yeah. I guess from either side, I was just trying to say from either side, you look at the thing, there's there's a conversation and, a, and something that has to go on here that has to be in a national kind of agreement, what, what, have, what have you. Well, I, I, I think what you're saying is, is that getting the country to have the conversation as a society in whatever little ways we individually have in our own little sort of cells of the structure of the, of the national body, we in our own little cells, even in our own little bubbles, have to have conversations that elevate the national culture and national discourse as we see fit and hope that that comes to a better outcome. That's part of the, that's part of the repentance. Of calling yeah. these things out and analyzing them. I guess, I, I mean. It, no, I, I think that's sort of. You know, like a national confession almost. Yeah. What? Yeah. National confession. These things happen. Here's how we prevent them in the future. Here's why they're wrong. Yeah. And, that, and that confession is in the sense of, uh, not again, not that Asham, but rather let's have that conversation, understand how we do it and. And how we fix it. Look, I, I think it's okay to to bang your chest a little and say, Asham knew we're guilty, as long as it's not coming. We're very worried today that we're going to damage our self-image. You know, we're going to damage our self-esteem. And that is a real, I think, a very real concern. Uh, you know, I don't have the world's best self-esteem. And yeah. the last thing I need is have it knocked down a few more pegs. Look, it's also... I'm- and also, anything we ever say is always used as fodder against us by our enemies. <laughs> and that's another issue. That's another issue. How do we then, and I don't know if we're going to have time to get to it, but how does that work externally? I, I would worry less about it. You know, we have, as Jews, we have the biblical model. We don't hide the sins of our forefathers. And certainly people have used them right. against us for centuries. And I think the model, the biblical model is that the struggle to create a more moral, perfect society means that you get it all out there. And if somebody wants to turn that against you, that's on them. Right. But if you're, but if you process what you have to process. It's not, you don't want to wash your dirty laundry in public, but you do have to wash your laundry. And if somebody wants to use that against you somehow, well, they can distort it and use it and lie or whatever it is, and they can be the hypocrites they're going to be. That's not going to dissuade me from pursuing a better, healthier culture. I, I would argue, by the way, that you know what you're talking about, the, the, the whole under-the-rug thing, which is, ah, we don't talk about that in our country. And whether it's about um, you know, the, a certain number of, of Arabs who, whatever the percentage is, who fled their homes in 48 and 49, you know, there's a percentage that were chased out by Israeli soldiers. Whether you know, you have the Yassin, you have other things. You have other things in the national record um, that we should be comfortable talking about as things that we don't want to recreate. But I think also that the national. Uh, by the way, I hope it, I think it helps us also identify the sins. Not every place where we kicked Arabs out of village was a sin. Correct. There are places that they were violent and, and fighting us, and, and it was a strategic position, and in any war, you need to take that position. And well, if, you are, if you're murdering so, civilians from that town, and the only way to protect those right. civilians is to evacuate the town, then 
it's militarily defensible to evacuate exactly. that town. So, and so I think it also makes it hone on what 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 are the things that were were justified and what were less justified. And this type of processing leads to a better future. And and we've talked about it in previous podcasts. I think it applies to something we alluded to in this episode, which is this this sort of cynical Israeli attitude towards corruption. Ah, they're all corrupt. But right. that's not acceptable. We have to we have to purge that. And we have to demand of ourselves and our communities and our nation that we become the nation that we dreamed of becoming. A nation devoted to the or ethical Goyen. standards. Yeah, the ethical standards that becomes a light to the nations. A role model nation. Not that we're better inherently, yep. but that we want to serve by our best example how other people can learn. And when you can have an Israel where we've defeated poverty and we've defeated drug addiction and human trafficking and 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 sex slavery and all, whatever social and racism and all these things in Israel, other countries can look to us and go, wow, what's Israel doing right? These people really demanded the best and they got it. How do we, how can we be like them? That's the dream. Like they do in water conservation or, uh, you know, or medical, you know, medical care or agricultural all the good things that we, technology, our technology, what we do, all the great things that we do that exactly that we need to. To, to keep that trend going. That's, that's the, that's the model. Stop. That is the model. Yeah. So hopefully uh, hopefully that's national food for thought for national uh, uh, national repentance, which I guess is our topic of the day. Yeah. I don't know why I'm only naming it now, but um, <laughs> but that's what we thought would be an appropriate conversation. And please let us know your thoughts. We know We know that these are controversial and difficult issues. And as Alan keeps pointing out, there's always room for debate in them. And we're not trying to say that our opinions are 100% right. We're trying to uh, express them in a conversation. And we'd love to hear your feedback through any of the various means uh, available on our website or Facebook or, uh, or, uh, or, or direct through email if you want. You can uh, at our website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org. You can contact us directly. So thank you so much, Alan. Thank you, Mike. Gemar Chatima Tova. sealed in the book of life for you, your family, and wealth, and success, and all the good things. Amen. And may our nation uh, be uh, granted a year of success and health and peace and quiet and success and growth. And justice. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I'm getting choked up. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye. This has been JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge podcast. Please check out our website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org, for episodes, blog posts, and contact information. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you use for podcasts. But you knew that, right? Uh, you can follow our Facebook page at the Teacher's Lounge podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at JU Israel Gap. Please keep in touch with us with questions, comments, feedback, and suggestions. And... If you know somebody who would enjoy our podcast in general or an episode in particular, we love it when people recommend us. Thank you, guys. <laughs>